The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Right, church, I am so excited to be jumping back into the book of 1 Corinthians together. We took quite a break in the summer, but we're back. We're picking up right where we, uh, right where we left off, and it just excites me uh, each time I read this book uh, because it just amazes me how applicable this book is to our lives. It's like every time you read it, it just seems like God's truth just kind of leaps off the pages and leaps right into our lives and what we're dealing with today and in our culture and conversations that are happening in our own community. And there is perhaps no greater example than chapter 6 and chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, We find ourselves today in a culture that is driven by sex. Uh, we find ourselves today with, with this all kinds of, of different sexual things are right in front of us in every commercial, in every advertisement, in every form of entertainment, every side of pop culture, in every aspect of life. And we've, we're in this interesting time where we've seen cultural norms regarding human sexuality change in a short amount of time. So what I mean by that is we've seen things that have gone from openly accepted to now openly rejected. Things that were once openly rejected are now openly accepted. We have seen this cultural shift. And we're all kind of buckled up for it right now. Whether you like it or not, uh, whether you're someone who celebrates this or mourns this, we're along for this ride of watching our culture's perception and perspective change on human sexuality, and, and the, the fact is, is that our culture is kind of dominated by this conversation. And here's what I want us to see. In this way, you are going to be able to relate well to the, the, the uh, city of Corinth in this time that this letter was written. You're going to relate well to the recipients of this letter. Uh, for example, if you were living in the first century city of Corinth, if you sent your kids to school in Corinth, if, uh, if you worked here, if you lived in the community here, you would be experiencing some of the very same things that we experience today. Um, you would, uh, you would, the people who are receiving this letter, they, they were experiencing a sexual revolution of their own. And we'll unpack this here in a bit. Uh, but in our day and time, we know, we see that the unfortunate fact that sex sells, not only in advertising and in marketing, commercials and all of that, but sex sells in some of these industries such as the multi-billion dollar pornography industry uh, to slave or sex trade industry to what we're dealing with specifically this morning, which is prostitution. We see that sex sells today, and we also see that just as it sells today, it sold back then. You're wondering where I'm going with this sermon. I know it. 
I feel it. Um, the city of Corinth was an ancient city that was not only perfect situa- perfectly situated to be a city of trade, like a New York City of the time, but it was also known for being a city, a culture of great sexual exploration, uh, a little bit like the Vegas of our time. This was, this was Corinth. And, and in, in fact, um, to Corinthianize, that term has been found on ancient documents to be synonymous for sexual exploration, fornication, sexual immorality. They were synonymous terms. Uh, this is how deep it sunk into this, this culture. Um, but here is what I want us to kind of lay the foundation. We're going to be talking about this a lot over the next several weeks. But he, I want us to address a temptation that we have. And each one of us address something that is kind of universal in our hearts. And that is all too often the church, you and I, all too often we, fail, we fall into the beliefs of our culture, of, of our, uh, the things that are accepted and practiced in our culture, and we fall into them just by sheer exposure. And, and, we, and although we think we're following Christ and we think we're seeking after his kingdom, the truth is, is that we're more blinded to the norms of our culture than we like to think we are. And, and the reason I bring this up is because we see this all throughout history. Like, if you read history, you read some of these stories, and, and you're like, okay, you see the violence of the Crusades. You see um, the war between Protestants and Catholics. You see uh, uh, the African slave trade. And you look back, and you say, how on earth could Christians stand by and think that was okay? How could they be involved in this? Were they blind? Were they just that much more of a sinner than I am that they would see this going on in their culture and they would not see it for what it is? And we look back on it, but here's here's the truth, though. It's far easier to see the failures in Christians of the past and far more difficult and more painful to examine ourselves and to see how we are exactly the same way, exactly the same uh, temptations and tendencies, the same, we are so easily influenced by the culture and the world around us, and this has been true of the church throughout time. The world constantly preaches at us, and it's not that what we want to do is reject Christ in order to follow the world, but what we end up doing is, without realizing it, try to follow Christ by, tag, by grabbing the world's message that it's preaching at us and bringing it along. There's this saying that time in erodes awareness of. And it's this idea that the longer you spend in something, the less aware you become of, your, of the thing that you're spending time with. And that's so true. We fail to see the evils the way we once did. And in a way, we have a blind spot. So here's the way I want us to see what we're about to read. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is addressing a blind spot. He's addressing a blind spot in the church, uh, specifically uh, addressing prostitution. But over the next couple weeks and in chapter 7, he's going to address issues of human sexuality, gender roles. He's going to address marriage and singleness and divorce. And we get to, to the honor, the privilege of opening God's word together and saying, God, what would you have to say? And that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. Today, though, we look specifically at a practice, the practice of prostitution. 
And so I want us to look, starting in verse 12, we're going to walk through this. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So let me address the obvious here. Uh, In the city of, of Corinth in the first century, the practice of prostitution was legal. To use the language here, it was, it was lawful. Now, this is not apples to apples here, because fortunately, prostitution is not legal here in our community. It's, it's not lawful. But here, Paul is addressing prostitution, which was a legal sin. It was a sin that was legalized. It was a lawful, wicked practice. It was a sinful practice that had grown such a level of acceptance that it was legalized. And that's what Corinth is dealing with. And so Paul speaks directly to this, and he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul is saying here, look, church, just because it is legal, just because it is accepted by your culture, just because it is widely practiced in your community does not mean that we, the church, should embrace it. Does not mean that it is helpful. Does not mean that it is beneficial. Does not mean that it will lead us to a life of freedom. More importantly, just because our, our community has legalized it does not mean that our God has legalized it in his plan for us. And so when we look at this, the moral compass, our moral compass is not found in what is legislated in our governments. Our moral compass is not found in the cultural norms of our day. Our moral compass is found in the word of God. The word of God, uh, the truth of God's plan for us and the fact that he has revealed it to us through his word. This is what we stand on. This is what we stand on. And so in verse 13, Paul continues. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So here what Paul does is he takes our eyes and he lifts He lifts them up. He draws them up, up from our culture, up from what the cultural norms are at the time, up from what the world preaches. And what Paul does is he redirects our focus up to to, uh, directly to Christ. He says, the food was, our stomach was meant for food and your body was meant for the Lord. Your body is meant for the Lord. In other words, he's redirecting our attention up to the way God created us, to creation. He's pulling us up from from cultural norms, looking, focusing us up. And he says, this statement is profound. He's gonna develop this more, but he says, your body's not meant for sexual immorality. It's like using a, a pencil eraser as a toothbrush. It's not meant for that. It does not work for that. It's janky. It's not meant for that. 
This is what Paul is saying. In the same way, your body is not created for this. It's not meant for this. And so Paul directs our attention up from the culture and says, look at what you were created for. Look at what you were meant for. Look up. And wow, is this not a phenomenal reminder to us to just simply stop, to breathe, to to look up, to have the courage to look at God's word and say, now God, what would you say about this? What would you say about this and, and to look up, realizing, I, I, we got to realize this, that people, civilizations, philosophers, governments, cultures have come and gone. People, uh, civilizations, philosophers, governments, culture, they've been wrong before. But we need to realize what we, Lord, you have never been wrong. You are eternal. You have never come and gone. You have never been wrong. So we look up and we have the courage to say, what do you have to say? What does your word have to say? Paul draws our eyes up, lifts our eyes up, and I want to encourage us as a church, and I will continue to encourage us this morning to have the courage to look up. And so he continues in verse 15. Uh, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So Paul here is going to now bring this to bear on their sin. And he's going to remind them of something, again, that we're going to talk about later. This idea of being meant for the Lord. He said, you are members of Christ, of the body of Christ. You are members of the body of Christ. And if we understand this, church, that we are members of the body of Christ, if we understand that, if we understand that the church is not a building or a program, it is a people, more specifically, it is you, it is me. If we understand that, understanding it will destroy the question of whether or not prostitution is a good idea. It'll destroy the question of whether or not it should be acceptable. It may be lawful. It may be that your culture says, no, this is okay. That might be the case. But understanding that we are the body of Christ, we are one with Christ, should destroy that question as to whether or not this should be practiced, whether or not the body of Christ should, in these words, become one with prostitution. Paul reminds us, sex is by God's design. We're going to talk a lot about this over the next couple of weeks. Sex is by God's design. It is designed for a man and a woman in the context of the covenant of marriage. It unites them together as they are one in Christ, two becoming one flesh. And this is God's perfect plan and design for, for marriage. And Paul reminds us, you are the body of Christ, one in spirit with him. Let us never take our holy union with Christ and unite it with, to be joined with, prostitution, to take God's perfect gift of, of sex and his design for human sexuality to use it for evil, 
to distort it and to use it for sin. Paul reminds us, let us never justify our sexual immorality just because our culture has. And so we need to instead come to God and ask, what do you have to say about this? What do you have to say? And we need to let his word pour over us that we may follow God's plan for human sexuality. But here's the thing. This, you need to hear me. This means we need to know God's plan for human sexuality. In order to follow, we must know what God's design is for us. We are in a moment, church, of incredible confusion. Uh, we, so much confusion, there's a lot of panic. Uh, you know, if you read ahead and you read in chapter seven, you're gonna read some of these things and you're gonna be like, I wanna come and hear what he's gonna say, right? We're in a moment of this weird panic, this, this, this anxiety about sex. Um, and at a time like this, in a time like this, one of the greatest things that we can do as the church is to strive for clarity. To strive for, for clarity. Um, over the, the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about all kinds of issues, but our, our goal is to strive for clarity, to serve you well, to strive for clarity. So last week... Um, this was actually really perfect timing. Some of you might have seen this on your news feeds, actually. There was a group of, of leaders and prominent Christian leaders and pastors and, that gathered together in Nashville, Tennessee. And, and they came together um, in connection with a group called the Coalition for Biblical Sexuality. These are leaders, pastors. They came together and for one purpose, and that was to create a really simple and clear statement in regard to human sexuality. That in and of itself just goes, you know, in this, in this culture. Uh, they formed something that's now called the Nashville Statement. And if you saw this on your, new, on your news feeds, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it made quite a splash. As you can imagine... Uh, sent some ripples through the media, through social media, because if there's anything that is not tolerated in a society like ours today is clear statements. <laughs> yeah. This statement is comprised of 14, or this article is comprised of 14 statements, and each statement is one simple, we affirm this and we deny this. Nothing more complicated than that. We affirm this, we deny this. So I wanted to just give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Um, I want to show you Article 2. Hopefully we have that. Which I could have chosen any of these. I chose this one just because it kind of, it most directly applies to where we're headed today. But, but they're just absolutely clear and phenomenal, as you'll see. This is Article 2. We affirm that God's revealed will for all people is chastity outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage. We deny that any affections, desires, or commitments ever justify sexual intercourse before or outside of marriage, nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. That's pretty clear pretty clear. So there's 14 of these that build on each other. Um, and thousands and thousands of Christian leaders have come together and signed this already. 
prominent leaders and, and just pastors uh, have come together and signed this, myself included, um, have signed this statement as we, as we kind of embark on this journey as a church over the next couple of weeks to look at some of these topics on human sexuality. Um, I wanted to make this statement available to you. Uh, just for the sake of clarity, for the sake of unity, if you're bored and want some good reading material, uh, you can find this statement at nashvillestatement.com. You can go to it there, you can pull it up, you can read it, um, and see kind of the response biblically to the current trends that we're in in culture today. They even have it in PDF if you'd like to download it, so there it is. Um, but I encourage you to go find it. And I want to say one more thing before we move on in our text. Um, we're at a moment in, in time when neutrality is no longer an option. And, and you know, this, this idea that we can just remain silent, not offend, is not real. Anymore, Not because we want to shove morality down people's throats, but because we are being called on to give an answer. We are being called on to give an answer, and there's really not a middle ground that we can kind of stand on in silence any longer. And, and we need to know God's plan, his design for human sexuality, and we need to be ready to stand on his truth, to be ready to stand. Again, our moral compass, as we talked about, is not found in our legislator, not found in our cultural norms. It is found in the word of God and his plan revealed perfectly for our good, for us. This is our authority. And I just want, when we think about these issues, hear me, I'm probably going to say this multiple times. It does not matter what I say. It does not matter what I think. It doesn't matter what they say or what they say or what they think. It doesn't matter what you say, what you think. It really matters, church, only what God says about his design for sex. Because you and I have been wrong before. You and I have been the cultural norms of our day, church, will fade. They always have. Every great revolution, every great city of Corinth, they fade. They come, they go, they fade. And, and what we are left with, church, when this is all said and done, is the eternal truth of God. And we are grateful that, that he has given it to us, that we may know it and know him. He, his word is our authority because he is our authority. His word is truth because he is truth. And because of this, in a world that is laying before us what we should now, in their opinion, consider normal, um, here is our response. Are you ready? Let's continue. Verse 18. Here is God's word directly to us. So applicable. Get ready. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Let me read it again. Flee from sexual immorality. Paul says, flee, run, sprint, get out of there. Flee. This is not passive. This is not accidental. This is not something that you just accidentally do. Um, 
No one accidentally or passively flees. By definition, this is an active, intentional thing that Paul is calling us to. If there was an angry, hungry bear in front of you, you are either going to flee or you are not going to flee. You're not going to passively flee. Paul says, flee, actively, run, actively engaged from, in fleeing from sexual immorality. And notice what Paul did here. He zoomed out. We were talking specifically about prostitution, and now he has gone and zoomed out. And now we are talking, in a broader sense, sexual immorality. He, he looks at it as a whole, and he's pleading with the church, church, you must flee. You must flee. And so here's the question. Do you know how to do that in your life? Do you know? Do you see the necessity of doing this in your life? Do you know how to flee? Because here's the reality. Sexual immorality is not a young thing exclusively, not an old thing. It's not a guy thing. It's not a girl thing. This is a sinner thing. You are never going to outgrow. You're, you're never going to outgrow it. You're never going to outgrow your need to be intentional about fleeing it. You're never going to graduate to this level where you're like, now I don't have to worry about that. Right? This is our charge from God's word. Each of us being sinners charged with this, flee, run. The bear is angry. Flee from this. So let me define our term here. Um, sexual immorality is any form of human sexuality that is outside of God's perfect design for human sexuality. So let me say it again. Sexual immorality is any form of, sexual, of human sexuality that is outside of God's perfect design for human sexuality. So here Paul says, flee from any form of human sexuality that is outside of God's perfect design for human sexuality. So if we look at our Nashville statement, let me read it again. We affirm that God's revealed will is for all people, for all people is chastity outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage. We deny that any affections, desires, or commitments ever justify sexual intercourse before or outside marriage, nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk in detail about God's design for marriage. So I want to save that. It was hard to puzzle those away. But um, we're going to come back to that. Uh, but for now, I simply want to say this. God's design for sex is to be enjoyed exclusively within the context of covenant marriage. God's design for sex is to be enjoyed exclusively within the context of the covenant of marriage. This is God's plan, his grand and his beautiful design for human sexuality and every attempt to bring sex outside of that. Every attempt is sexual immorality. Every attempt. And in sexual immorality, I want us to think about it like this. It, 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 it can seep into our lives so subtly and slowly. Um, 
starting first, working first in our heart and in our mind, and then working out into our actions. And I want us to, uh, Jesus makes this really loud and clear in a sermon he gave on the, called the Sermon on the, on the Mount. And I want us to look at this in Matthew 5. Starting in verse 27, listen to this. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. So remember, just like we said, God's design for sex is to be enjoyed exclusively within the context of the covenant of marriage. So Jesus says, pointing to this, you know that sex outside of that, thou shalt not, right? You know that this is outside of my design. Now, Jesus is going to dive deeper. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. We'll talk about this later. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. You can't get mad at me. This is Jesus. Uh, <laughs> And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, get rid of that. Uh, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Ouch, Jesus. Ouch. <laughs> Jesus drives to the smallest level from action to heart. He drives it down to the mind. God's design for human sexuality is so strong that we as God's people cannot even be content with harboring it, harboring the seeds of, a, of adultery in ourselves, in our minds, in our hearts. Jesus says adultery is adultery both in action and in thought. This means, church, that we really, as the church, must get practical and must take this seriously and be diligent to flee. We must take this seriously because sexual immorality expresses itself in, itself in so many ways. Um, there may be some in this room who are right now openly engaged in sexual immorality, sex outside of God's design, outside of the covenant of marriage. Whether that be sex before marriage, sex outside of a marital relationship in the form of an affair, there may be some of you who are here and this is you. And sexual immorality that started in your heart has now worked its way out into action and now manifesting itself involving another person. There may be some of us here who, although it hasn't gotten to the act yet, the relationship has begun. Whether this is an emotional affair, an inappropriate relationship with a coworker, a friend, or a boyfriend, girlfriend, you are here and you may not even realize the extent that sexual immorality uh, that's already taking place. But you are pursuing this inappropriate relationship. And you're entertaining the thoughts in your mind of when this relationship turns to something else. Some of us may be here and our struggle is really what happens when no one's watching. It's... it's as we browse our devices. Pornography is so rampant in our culture, and we face this temptation more than any civilization up to this point. 
bar none. We face this temptation because of this information age that we live in. And some of you are here and you're like, yeah, I've tried to stop this before and that did not work. God's word to you this morning is still the same. Flee. (laughs) Flee again. So you fled, then you got mauled by the bear, you're still here. Flee again. Don't stop fleeing. Flee again and keep fleeing and then flee again. And after that, go ahead and flee again. Flee. Some of you are here. And, and you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. I'm not like entrenched in pornography addiction. I'm not entangled in prostitution. I, I, I'm not engaged in an affair or an inappropriate relationship. I'm doing all right. But you know your thought life. And you know the thoughts that just flood your mind as you lay on your pillow at night. Church, sexual immorality will run the full spectrum. And wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, God's word in verse 18 applies. Flee. Flee. Uh, To move, to progress in our pursuit of Christ and to flee, to progress away from the sexual immorality in our hearts and in our lives. And so church, what does that look like for you? Because if we're going to do this, it, it, what does fleeing look like? It can't be theoretical. It can't be a hypothetical question. This has to be real. Like, how can you do this? If Paul commands us to flee, in order to flee well, we need to answer the question, how? How am I going to do this? How are you going to flee today? How are you going to flee this week? For some of you, that means just straight up terminating a relationship. It's going to be painful, but the pain will be less. For, for some of us, that means that it just needs that we need to approach people that we have hurt because of our sexual sin, and we need to just come in repentance. For some of us, we need some accountability. An internet blocker would be awesome for, for, for us. We need some boundaries, some measures, some people in our life who know us and are praying for us and can help us. This is one of the very few sins that we ignore and we struggle with silently. And some of us need to break the silence. For all of us, it is prayer and repentance. Amen? It's coming to the Lord and saying, give me a pure heart before you. How can we flee? Because here's the truth. Listen to the way Paul ends this text. Every other sin in a person uh, commits is outside of the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body, listen to this, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Uh, Do you hear the paradigm shift? Because if your body was yours, if mine was mine, yours is yours, what right does anyone have to tell you what to do with your body? It's your call, it's your choice, my body, my choice, my life. Isn't that the mindset we hear most often? It makes sense. And so Paul makes this a 
abundantly clear. No, you have missed it because you are not your own. You have been bought, purchased at a great price, the blood of Christ. And now your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in you. They are not your own. You are, we are the body of Christ. And so I want us to think about this over the next couple weeks. You are a steward of your body. We understand stewardship when it comes to money sometimes, but we fail to understand that stewardship is bigger than that. We are stewards of our body. If it's not ours, then we are stewards to use it well in order that we may glorify God. They are a tool to bring glory to the God who made it. We are stewards, but sexual sin uses the body that was meant to glorify God and and distorts it and, and uses it to bring glory and pleasure to ourselves outside of the plan and purposes of God. This is the Garden of Eden all over again. Sexual sin takes the temple of God, the very temple that was purchased by the blood of Christ, takes that temple and uses it for sin and rebellion against God's design and his will. It reminds me of all those times in the Old Testament when the prophets are absolutely railing on the temple for bringing prostitutes in the temple and like, no, get them out. This is the temple of God. It's the same thing here, only the temple is not there, it's here. This is the same call, the same thing that's happening. And have you ever wondered why? Let's come back to Matthew 5. Why Jesus sounds so absolutely crazy? You know, and cutting off hands and all that. Like, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear that thing out, throw it away. Um, if, your, if your right hand causes you to sin, just cut it off, throw it away. Jesus is so serious about this because he realizes the destruction that sexual immorality will cause, the brokenness. He realizes the pain that it will cause, and Jesus is calling out saying, you know the pain that you're gonna feel when you sever your arm? That's nothing compared to the pain that will be left in a life ruined and wrecked by sexual immorality. This is not a call for all of us to amputate. This is a call for us to realize how big this is. How big this is. We need to flee with every ounce of energy that God has giving, given us. And I want us to understand something. We do not flee in order that we may receive grace and favor with God. You're not fleeing so that you can please and gain favor with God because that church has been secured in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. <laughs> We flee not in order to, to, to gain favor in love of Christ. We flee because we are loved and favored by God. You cannot outsend the grace of God and, and the, the work of Christ that was accomplished on the cross for you. Look to Christ. If you are here, and I described you earlier today and the Holy Spirit is kind of prompting your heart, convicting your heart, look to Jesus because you have not out sinned. There's still time to flee. We flee from sin, from sexual immorality in order that we may walk in the fullness of a life well lived in Christ. 
that we may experience the joy and the fullness of God's plan, that we may know the fullness of God's plan for sex. Because we know that God's law, his rules, all of those things, his plan, they are a law of love, not oppression. In in, in other words, living into God's design for sex causes us to experience sex the way that God has designed it. It is undiluted, unpolluted, unperverted. It is pure. And God is literally inviting us in to what is truly good. This is a law of love. And so this morning, here's the charge. This morning, our charge is to examine our hearts and to identify all of the ways that we have begun to take the norms of the culture around us over what God has told us in his word. And our charge is to bring us back to this and say, Lord, what would you have to say? Our charge this morning is then to flee from all of those things that he reveals. To flee everything that is outside of his perfect and wonderful plan. And as we close, I want you to hear me. This is going to require no small degree of courage. Not only to live this out and to apply this, that's always... The struggle, but it's going to take courage to even stand for this. Um, Although we see God's design and his plan and his rules as love, I want to just let you know of something. Our community does not. Uh, So much of what we call God's good design and plan for human sexuality, they view as hateful, bigoted, outdated, intolerant. Church, as we look at over our text this next couple of weeks, this is going to require some courage to look up and to allow God's word to infiltrate our lives, that we apply God's truth in our lives, and that we proclaim God's truth in our community. Not from a place of hate, but as Ephesians says, truth in love. Again, understanding that it does not matter what I say, what you say, what they say, what anyone says. It matters what he says because he is our ultimate authority forever. He is love and he is truth. And so over the next couple of weeks, we see Corinth who lived and ministered this, this church in a city that, that had all kinds of ideas about human sexuality. Rampant in the city, but God called them to look up. God called them to remember his design, a design that transcends their culture. And the same calling is true for us. We live and we minister in a world who has all kinds of ideas about human sexuality. And the call here from God is to look up, remember his design, and understand that it transcends culture. And before I pray, I want to give you this brilliant quote. If we do this, and we're going to be able to relate to this quote by an old theologian named Juanus Kepler, who identified his great pursuit in God's word as this. I am merely thinking God's thoughts after him. I am merely thinking God's thoughts after him, conforming my thoughts to his, and let this be true of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you that we can stand in, in, a, in, a, in a time that is so shaky and uncertain that we can stand on your truth. Thank you for the peace that that brings, and I pray for us that you would continue to convict us, that you would move in us, and that you would give us courage as your people, as your church, 
to follow after and live into your beautiful design. God, we love you. And we thank you and we pray for your help over the next couple of weeks as we continue to dive in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.